Hey everyone, welcome back to Creative Consumption. I'm Daniel Schwartzberg, host of the show. Thank you guys for tuning back in and listening these past few weeks. Uh, Or if this is your first episode, thank you for giving the show a listen. And if you want to catch up on the other episodes, our, our whopping back catalog of three other episodes, you can head to our website, which is creativeconsumptionpodcast.com, where you can listen to all the other episodes. You can also subscribe there and send us feedback. Or you can also subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast player. Okay, so today's interview is with Barrett Riggins. Barrett is really an incredible creator. He is a New York-based actor and musician and composer. He has worked in theaters across the country. Uh, He had a debut album last year in 2019 called Good Ol', and that's available through all the major streaming locations. Uh, I actually just listened to the whole thing through the other day. It's a great, great listen, really cool vibe. Um, He's also a playwright. He has an encyclopedic knowledge of film. He also released a demo album for a musical he co-wrote about Facebook content moderation, uh, which is really awesome. Another great listen. Definitely recommend that. Barrett is one of the most intelligent guys I know, and these topics in particular are something that I think really engage him. Uh, And so hearing him talk about it was really, really fun. So all that being said, thank you guys for listening and enjoy the interview. Barrett, thank you so much for being on the show, man. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Hey, Hey, Daniel. Hey, Barrett. So I like to start this way just so it kind of gives like a way, a baseline, because um, we just listed a lot of things you do, right? So like actor, singer, songwriter, I know that's what you have on your Instagram, and I don't know if that's also what you kind of go by. So like it, we're meeting for the first time, right? I'm like, hey, what do you do? What what do you lead with? Oh, I don't like that question for that sure? reason. Uh, it's been tricky. I studied musical theater at school <laughs> with you, Daniel, um, and uh, I've often felt like... The, the goal of becoming a actor, primarily in the musical theater, but in theater and film at large, uh, is, is somewhat of a path that is separate from the uh, singer-songwriter guy who makes albums and, I mean, maybe becomes a touring musician. That hasn't really been at the forefront of my goals, mainly just to make albums. But uh, I've often felt that, you know, you see, you read the bio, you see Beauty and the Beast, you see, oh, that actor who played LeFou. You check his bio. Oh, he came out with an EP. <laughs> I don't think anyone goes like, oh, God, I got to check that one out. And and similarly, I don't think you listen to my music and go, I wonder what his, you know, his Hamlet his would type? be. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I I struggle. Um, and I think that even, even as recent as the, you know, all the Lin-Manuel and the passing strain, you know, the, we're starting to get a little bit more of a paradigm for what a someone who rides that line of acting and, and writing um, works like, looks like. Um, but I, I'm honestly very insecure about it because it, it seems like very different hats to put on and I don't want them to <laughs> mix. You know, I don't, I don't want you to listen to the album and think like, oh, this guy is probably uh, an Enoch Snow. <laughs> I can really tell. Um, so Smells yeah. like fish. <laughs> so I'm figuring it out. But um, I think uh, actor musician is, is what I say. Okay. Does it partly depend upon who you're talking to? Yes, entirely. Okay. Entirely. <laughs> sure, yeah, I mean, well, that makes sense, right? I mean, like, if you're at a bar with other musicians, you probably right. would lead with something different, right? And then, of course, writing musicals is a very nice marriage between the two, that, sure. that, but that's just very new and um, hasn't quite materialized enough for me to confidently say I am a <laughs> composer of musicals, but I would, you know, I'd like to be. Yeah. So, jumping way back, where'd you grow up? Uh, Santa Rosa, California, about an hour north of San Francisco. So you're growing up in Santa Rosa. 
you like what are the things what are you seeing what are you watching listening to all that kind of stuff that leads you i uh wanted to become an actor because i was uh i believe four or five years old and i found out that mel blanc did all the voices of the looney tunes and it was one guy i did not know that blew my little mind and i told my parents i wanted to be a voiceover guy uh, and they didn't really know what to do with that. So they, you know, signed me up for theater camp. Sure. And I just took to it very quickly and kept doing it. Um, my sister was more of the singer of the family. Um, and I was a little more insecure about it and found sort of a backdoor through it. So I, sorry, backdoor to it. Um, it wasn't something like I was always the singer. And the, I mean, I, I just did it in musicals. And then it became more of a, uh, you know, started writing silly songs at the piano when I was in middle school. And God, there's there's recordings that exist somewhere. And I, you can I see really, the links in the description. No, my God, I have done whatever I can to uh, purge the world. I want to have a sense of humor about it, but I still am very embarrassed that this stuff exists. <laughs> and the worst part is it's not like just a video you took of me at a school performance. It's like I, I made an album and like came into my friends and you know that's it, awesome it, it, sure but listen to it and you won't think that so uh, they're, they're baby pictures that I've, I've attempted to burn so you actually started writing early on too I didn't realize that yeah yeah if you again you're just it's mimicry is what it is and actually a lot of early acting is that too it's like you're you know you're you're recreating what you've heard on the cast recording and what sure. you think <laughs> you should be doing your 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 memorizing inflections and then you're delivering on them you know it's not yeah. it's not quite what present acting you know you later learn is right 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 um, so that's also a really interesting transition because your love comes from a place where you're just uh being a little mimic and then eventually you realize like oh if i actually <laughs> right. become the thing i'm mimicking it's so much more interesting right right, right. when it's not just about like your version of the person right. playing the person right. it's more direct that way yeah you mentioned cast albums and like mimicking people. What what albums? What shows? Oh man. Um, well, I'm a little Sondheim bitch, but I didn't. I wasn't a little Sondheim bitch initially. That that came like in high school. Uh -huh. um, I think the early ones were just kind of uh, correlated to the shows I was doing. So, Oliver! Exclamation point. Musical? Question mark. <laughs> What's the uh, musical? The musical. Um, which I have been in three times, all before the age of 13. Was there anything else other than acting? Was there other things that like, drew your interest, or is that always always a thing? Um, I, was, I remember uh, I was a very early uh, YouTube lover and, okay. and making little sketch comedy with, with my, my friends. I mean, if that's polite, but making little videos with my friends was Don't a... Don't be so down on your early endeavor. <laughs> ...was a big pursuit. And then shortly after, again, again, this is starting to get into early high school and middle school term, but... Um, I was also really into garage band and I mean just there were such cool tools for a kid with who had time on his hands. Um and yeah, just I had so many sleepovers with, you know, my two or three best buds was just, you know, making a I don't know, like a hip hop parody album one day and then a you know, a parody, you know, it was just, it was all very um creative um at even at that time because it was so accessible. And you get to you obviously decide you go to college right. for musical theater as you mentioned. And now you're living in New York. You're doing the actor-musician thing. Right. Um, so now, fast forward many, many years, now what are those things that you're seeing that are inspiring you or the things that are getting you excited about doing what you're doing? Oh, sure. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm a podcastaholic. That's a daily um, source of, of uh, interest and inspiration for sure. Um, I was always a big movie person. Um, and this is the most pretentious way to describe this, but I, only as of New York did I really become interested in 
italicized cinema. <laughs> Uh, but really, here's why. We when we got to New York uh, was right at the dawn of Movie Pass, um, which was just I can I I get to write a book about this one day. Yeah, there's got to be a podcast about Movie Pass. Well, no, there. my friend Gra- Graham had one for a while. While I had no d- idea. during Movie Pass, he had like a oh god, the title was dumb. Movie Pass, Movie Cast. It, the the point was this: him and his friends were just seeing the movies that no possible way they would be seeing unless it right, was right, free. Right, and right. so except so like you know the Tomb Raider. Uh, yeah, one, the one with you know, Alicia Vikander. Every yeah, yeah. single movie that doesn't exist, they saw for that year, yeah. whatever. Um, but anyway, yeah, so, so the, you know, living in New York, I, I mean, I suppose this could have had a different result if I was still in California, or, you know, I mean, Santa Rosa, California, but um, there's all these incredible art house cinemas, and, and I was, you know, at... I think if you would would have asked me like late high school, I I probably hadn't really seen any you know films with subtitles. Or, um, but there's this this huge world of amazing things that was uh, immediately just like opened up to me, and you know what with being unemployed and and uh, you know you have time on your hands, um, and this is a cheap thing that you could do. So it's just like a wonderful world to suddenly have you know to be to embrace. Um, and then Movie Pass died, but right around the time that um, Criterion Channel, which is an incredible, you know, uh, streaming service for for these types of movies. Um, so yeah, that has been like the biggest, um, yeah, just like film. Uh, I just um, uh, at peak um, interest. And what's also kind of nice about it is that, given that I don't know if you experience this, but sometimes even while I love theater, and even while yeah, it's main. It's mainly theater that that you can have baggage with, because you know I'm I'm getting to the place now where I'm seeing, you know, shows that I may have auditioned for, <laughs> that I may have gotten within a reach of being a part of, you know, and that's that's very exciting. But it comes with an amount of yeah emotional baggage because there's just such a far cry from someone who is able to. Uh, be successful in commercial theater, which can be a very lucrative and, I mean, f- from the outside at this point, uh, uh, seems like a very good lifestyle. <laughs> um, but it, you know, it, 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 it's tricky. Uh, and so, so watching film is, is a, all the joys of narrative and, um, yeah, joy of acting, joy of, of stories, but without the feeling that like, oh, I could have been in that, or I wonder why, I wonder who their agent is, or and right, any yeah. of the dumb, dumb questions. Um, so yeah, it's, a, it's almost a purer love um, in that way. Um, music mainly feels like that. It's, it's mainly the same. Um, and then listening to scores lately, it also, it's just like props to anyone who can actually fully complete a Broadway score. Yeah, seriously. Um, so though I'm not quite as, um, I, 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 those are also pretty pure um, interests and, and, and things that I can take in recreationally without them feeling like um, a bit of a psychological exercise. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you say like music and film, you don't have as much emotional, ba- it sounds like emotional yeah. baggage going into maybe seeing them. Is there any fear that if you get more into writing your own music or if you were to like maybe want to do more film work or like tv work that then those things would like i don't know become quote-unquote tainted like you could no longer watch them as purely it certainly would change it um i think (sighs) there's just so much less musical theater like musical theater is such a young art form and there's so it's so uh, improbable that any of them are successful both in both critically and commercially that it just seems like um, 
even if I were to be steeped in film, there's just like so much of it, such a history of it. And music is even like, I, you can't even fathom how much music is there. You can never run out of it and you can always just like pivot to another genre. You know, they, I, I don't think it's ever going to become a thing where I, you know, you, you, you hear about like snobby jazz listeners like, or jazz musicians can't really listen to jazz anymore because it just, it hurts their brain too much or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't think it's as possible with the other forms. I hope not. Is it hard to not be able to see theater and love it as much? Oh, as I still do. I still do. It's just um it's changed the way I can enjoy it and change like um I mean I don't feel like no, beyond not wanting to say any examples, nothing's really like coming to mind. It's just uh you know, it's it's um I can imagine were I only auditioning for film and television, I would be more I would be having the same warm fuzzies that I'm currently experiencing with film. But maybe I'm not because part of the reason too I'm watching so much film is because it's so accessible and then theater is, you know, very expensive Broadway and rare. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Another part that I'm curious about more from a personal standpoint is I was just talking with somebody about how having studied theater and like actually made it an academic pursuit, that that also for me became a bit of an obstacle where I would go to shows and instead of, watching for enjoyment i would not be watching for analysis right which can be enjoyable but also becomes a mental tax it's, right. it's mentally tolling to like be watching a show and analyzing it do you ever find yourself feeling that way i was just talking with someone about this i saw a production of uh, maria irene forna's play at mabu mines like the super avant-garde uh iteration and it was like a uh, book uh, ended with this um like Philip Glass short opera, but like this truly like like the strangest strangest theater, and I I was so jazzed. I loved just loved it, um, and I've I've been slowly kind of realizing that I think it's easier, um, and this would extend to musical theater as well, and maybe even film to a certain extent. Mm. Anyway, uh, what I'm saying is that I I, I think um, sometimes realism is really tricky to watch as someone who has. Uh, or studied acting, like watching actors attempt to be, you know, just trick you <laughs> into thinking that you're not there. Um, I, so I, I'm starting to lean towards theater that knows it's theater and wears it's on its sleeve, you know, some sort of um, fantastical or magical element. Musicals have less of a problem there because no matter what they're singing, so you, you know, they're never really going to trick you. What? Um, <laughs> right? Um, but sometimes it can be really hard. And, and, you know, there are, there are exceptions to this. I love, like, the Andy Baker stuff. But in general, I think I'm, I'm more inclined to get really in my head and frust thinking about the acting of it all if I'm watching people trying to sell me that they're just, you know, experiencing something in real time, which isn't, like, you can still have a very real emotional experience in, like, this type, this Mabu Minds production that I saw, and it, and it was, and it is. But it's just, it's pitched differently. Do you ever feel that way about watching film? Because I feel like most film is is geared to be quote unquote realism. Occasionally, okay. It just if they're really trying to be really really off the cuff and like you know some mumblecore stuff can can rub me the wrong way. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's going to be le again less likely because there's more of a um, barrier. You're seeing it through the lens and framing and all these different elements that remind you that you're watching, a, you know, a movie. Cool. You said podcasts. I love I'm them. Also, also a podcast fanatic. Um, why podcasts? Why do you like them? Oh, man. I, it, it, 
became a, became a transit experience back in actually in college. Just on, we took a lot of buses in Michigan, and then getting to the city, your life is spent on the train. And yeah, it's just the perfect blend of. I mean, I should also mention sorry, perfect blend of uh, entertainment and education. Um, but also, there's this. Uh, there's so many different genres of, and it's it's how I stay informed. It's how I feel inspired. It's how I learn more about the people that I'm already interested in. It- yeah, I I think that and this is just like a thing. I think podcasts are becoming more ubiquitous, but they have yet to. You mentioned like theater is a young art form. I think podcasts are like oh yeah. Talk about the infancy stages. It's only been around mm, for. But couldn't you argue that it's sort of next gen radio? Oh, absolutely. I think it's right. the democratization of radio, and right. that's what makes it really appealing to people, is right. that you and me sit down, right, and we just like pull out mics, and we can, right. we make a thing, and we send it out to the world. But in that case, I wonder if there's like a parallel to like, you know, Greek theater, Shakespeare theater, oh, being okay. historical, then now we have musical theater, which is, a, you know, some right. b- blend of it. that. I don't know if that's totally checks out but i can i could buy i could listen to a <laughs> college paper explaining that to me <laughs> yeah where's the, where's the analytical essay <laughs> so podcasts theater sure. film obviously music when you're approaching those different parts in your life right because you said you really love writing music you're mm-hmm. also an actor you're i know you were we were talking about a project you're working on right now even um but you're also working on projects with writing so when you're going between those two worlds between the world and responsibilities of an actor and a performer and the world of a writer, a musician. Do you find that easy to switch between those two headspaces? Um, I find it. Yeah. It's, it's sort of the thing that, uh, sustains it all. Um, so you can't, you don't really hit as many walls with, with any individually. Um, I sort of would drive myself crazy if I was just focusing on, on one, um, yeah, it's it's a it's a nice way to sort of palate cleanse um, while you're working on things, and I you know you have to give uh, priority to whatever is paying you, um, as far as your your first intention, both just in time and energy. But you know, anytime, you know, you get home at the end of the day, you can sit at the piano or you know work on whatever. Do you think of yourself as a multitasker, or do you have to divide things out? Well, yeah, it's fine. I mean, we were we were all pro podcasts, and I should mention the one thing I'm a little bit like worried about which is and this is funny too but so i i fall asleep listening to to podcasts okay. for a long yeah. time i would listen to music as i fell asleep and then i just sort of you know it's still a mixture of but i would say more often than not i I'd throw in a podcast and it's funny my grandfather actually we would always like one of the crazy grandpa jim things is that we anytime he was at we were at his house his radio was on like at all hours 24 hours of the day which was like annoying to us kids when we would like be sleeping over there or whatever but now i see it's like you know i mean i don't know i've never had my tv or tv in my room also and i know a lot of people like will fall asleep with something on and stuff but it's my equivalent of that and i do uh i've i've read compelling things to suggest that it's not healthy and i shouldn't be doing it but i just do and (laughs) that's that's the way it is so i definitely think there you know there might be some diagnosed i'm sorry undiagnosed adhd or, or something going on but right now it's you know, while I am, I don't have a family and a nine to five, you know, my responsibility is 
at the moment, I'm very fortunate. Most of my responsibilities and the things that are whatever paying me are things that sort of fill, fit, uh, fall under one of these categories. So it seems sustainable as of now, <laughs> um, at this point in my life, to be so like, well, I'm sick of working on the album. I'll get working on this vocal arrangement project, or I'll go memorize my lines, or I'll prep that audition. Or you know, it just seems like that it's they're more organically sort of being juggled right now. And I, I can imagine, and there there are times too. It's it's a difficult balance because then if I'm at this stage where I'm I'm you know uh, working on three or four things at a time and then I get like one extra audition that week that's like important that I should really be prioritizing first then that's when you know all hell breaks loose and it's really tricky um, so it's it's delicate um, but most of the time it works a wrench gets thrown in the wor- a happy wrench gets thrown in the works right, like an audition right, right? opportunity knocks right. should be good but there it's like is, oh right? no. Not right now. I would have loved this a month ago when I wasn't doing anything, right? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Once that happens and once that's in the aftermath of that, does order restore itself quickly or does it take a little time for you to readjust to like routinize yourself back to the way things were before you had to throw things out of whack? Right. Again, it's nice that most of these things are just my own pursuits and don't have necessary deadlines on them. Like, you know, uh, I can pick my own hours for certain things. Um so yes, uh, there are there are weeks that go by where I really uh, need to to focus on you know prepping an audition or whatever, and I still I think I kick myself because it's it will feel like self sabotage sometimes where I still try to fit in a movie at night or fit in you know X project Y thing, and um, so that's what I'm still you know learning how to do and. You also start to kind of your your mind can go in circles thinking about you know the auditions that you did you know the the jobs that you didn't get if you spent two or so more hours working on it do you think that would have been the difference do you think that could have you know or in a in a more um uh, macro like zooming out like if you had gone to the gym maybe and you looked that much better do you think maybe you could have gone you know there's always these like everything has an opportunity cost so even while i'm very just while i'm working on thing to thing to thing it's very much a joy um there are scary questions that you uh, get uh, that keep you up at night. So instead, I drown them out with a podcast. We turn I... up the volume. <laughs> we, we, Marin, get, Marin, Marin. We, we get Grandpa's radio and we turn it up all the way. <laughs> right. Um, well, jumping from thing to thing to thing, right? And I think that's I mean, that's how everyone, a lot of people live their life, and they just have to like jump from thing to thing. Is one of those things like like you say, you go from memorizing lines to practicing something to writing something to um, pulling together an outfit, going to the gym, right? Is one of those things? Do you think of as your, as your crutch, as the thing you'll fall back on, like the the easier default? Um, probably at this point in time, watching a movie. But I do think that, you know, you can either write it off as, uh, you know, for my mental health, <laughs> or it's a social exercise. You know, you're watching it with a loved one or a friend, and. Um, and it also feels like in the grand scheme of things, I do, I'm trying to become an actor. So there are always, there is a, a nugget of uh, information that you get every time you watch an actor act, um, be it good, be it bad. So I, <laughs> I can always rationalize it individually, but I, you know, there are many, many films and many hours spent watching films that would have been better applied somewhere else. But it's also, I don't know, it's like it's it's, it's right. something I genuinely love and want to, pers- like, I'm just passionate about. So were that, I don't know, watching tennis, it would maybe be even harder for me to square. But I, I guess I'm fortunate enough that my interests are the things that I'm, 
you know, attempting to make money doing. So there's a, you know, a connection. There. I, I think that, I don't know, the thing that I glommed on to that you just said is there are quote better ways to spend your time, like you just said, which I, like, it's the thing that plagues me too when I, like, take the time to watch a movie and, like, take the time to, like, even go see a theater show that's, like, three, I went to go see The Inheritance the other night and, like, three and a half hour show, like, part of my brain was, like, can you just, can you, quote, unquote, justify doing this? And I, I've, it's had to be a conversation I have with myself about it's something I can allow myself to do every once in a while because a it's something that i enjoy b it's something that i think could be professionally engaging and professionally informational and c it's it's good it's okay to do things that we like to do right and squaring that is sometimes really hard Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when you are listening to podcasts or you're watching movies those things that from the sound of it it sounds like those are the things that you'll do more for enjoyment than for quote-unquote professional development like they're not solely geared towards there's not um towards creation like i I think i i i have a uh easier and simpler like positive relationship anytime i want to write a song like you know that's that is hours gone by or you know making the moderators and stuff but i don't regret a thing you know it's it that that's all very good and it's just trickier because <laughs> now, I've, now i've listened to more more hours of this podcast but you know exactly what is it you know yeah for, yeah what is it toward is harder to say is it a, is it an active brain process of what am i taking away from this or depends okay on what uh it depends on the podcast i mean uh with podcasts it's a little easier to just to split like you know the the political ones seem a little bit like okay this is this is something i mean you know i am interested in it but i also there is i i am attempting to stay in you know i i I guess it is all (laughs) that makes me feel good (laughs) so you could just bring it down to all being just self-serving or for for leisure or whatever but no i mean I, i think it's um there's more to glean from and certain like journalistic more um you know like your radio labs your this american lives um, those seem also like there's <laughs> they're a little bit vegetables, you know, um, as opposed to a lot of the movie stuff and certainly a lot of the like your comedy bang bangs and stuff. That's just to get a dopamine rush. Will you ever find yourself then when you're going to the flip side of the creation, right, where you are studying for an audition or you're writing the moderators, right, which I definitely want to talk about. Do you think about ideas that you've plucked from your movies or th- something from like a radio lab that came out? Oh, like, yeah. Will that come up as you're thinking about what to write or what to inform your performance? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's tricky and this this is what your podcast is about. But, you know, in theory, to be a good artist, you need to be, you have to have, you, you need to know what's come before so you can riff and, and reflect and, you know, it, it's the same principle of like, what is the, those who don't learn history are condemned to repeat it, you know, like that. But then there's also the idea of, you have some story, some core narrative idea, narrative or musical or whatever, some artistic thing inside you that is just there and is waiting to be unearthed. You know, maybe not everyone, but I think a lot of people have that thing ready to be chiseled out. And are you diluting it by giving yourself the sense of what has come before and what the form of it is, particularly with theater, I think? Um, just because, again, there's less variation within it. Um, still variation, of course, but like, you know, there's way infinitely more music in the world than there has been musicals. Um, and are you um, just wasting time not 
trying to discover that central thing inside you or are you learning how to are you learning the craft of how to find you know it's you just don't know I don't know if um, you know I'm thinking about like some of my favorite songwriters or musical composers and um, I, I truly love some uh, both types of those artists the ones who like I don't really think are necessarily like in taking a lot of whatever the medium that they're attempting to be a part of. They're more just like constantly creating. And then I know some others who are like complete, like obsessive about the form. And I think I'm, I'm maybe closer to that. Um, but I am aware that, uh, that the other thing exists and it's just like, it's, it's not the only way I should be or the only way to be. And in a lot of ways I sometimes wish that I was spending more time just trying to make the thing that is most authentically me as opposed to, uh, learning about how other people have done that. Hey everyone, just taking a brief break from the episode to drop a reminder about the arts equity and anti-racism links in the show notes. Barrett's recommendation that he wanted to include is the podcast Black Men Can't Jump in Hollywood, and he specifically highlighted the episode about Django Unchained. Uh, And since Barry recommended a podcast, I also had a podcast that was recently recommended to me uh, called the Integrated Schools Podcast, which is about equity and integration in schools. And it kind of struck me since a lot of us have mentors and people especially in the arts who we find in school who are important to us that that could be something that everyone can get a lot out of so you will find links to both of those in the show notes along with the links we've been including for the past few episodes as well all right back to the show i want to talk about the moderators first of all because it sounds like a fascinating project um so i would love to just start if you want to give me your elevator pitch of what the show is what it covers sure um so, uh, a schoolmate of ours, uh, Isabel Stein, was uh, uh, starting this theater festival um, out of nothing, props to her, um, and contacted me late November of last year and asked if I wanted to contribute a piece, um, just 20 minute short musical, is, is the only parameters. Um, I have been meaning to write with my, my buddy and playwright friend um comedian graham teckler uh, we had done uh <laughs> silly like 24-hour musicals in college that we really really had had enjoyed working on um and it felt it made sense given that i was being asked to you know write a musical in a very short amount of time the, the performance i should mention was was the beginning of january so it was a very small amount of time to make this thing uh it made sense to contact the person who i've literally been put in that exact format i mean less at time even yeah. um and, and made things that i was you know pretty proud of so um contacted him and actually spent thanksgiving at his family's house out in Boston and we were just trying to like, you know, migraine out an idea, you know, just like uh, coming up with something. And then on the bus ride back, uh, we had remembered we had both sent each other in a text thread that um, uh, an article from The Verge uh, that we yeah. had both just found very fascinating about um, Facebook content moderators. This I think it's called uh, uh, Bodies and Seats, the secret world of, of Facebook content moderation. And it's just about this... Um, sort of this expose done, um, all these people breaking NDAs and talking about what it's like to be this third-party company uh, who is charged to just spend hours, you know, nine to five at minimum wage in these terrible facilities looking at this the, the worst of imagery 
um, and saying whether or not it's flagged or not, or whether, you know, it can stay on Facebook or not. Um, and there was just something very interesting, uh, about that world. We didn't know like what narrative it would be. Um, but that was just a, a, an interesting, you know, very much both of the, um, school of, you know, the most specific thing will end up becoming the most universal. That's just always been our sort of credo. Um, and yeah, that's just like a very specific world that we hadn't seen. Um, and it also weirdly seemed like, um, relevant to some uh, cool 2019 uh, projects that just felt very of the moment and were praiseworthy of the moment. And th those would be um, Parasite and Us, or two films, I love them both. Um, and both are, are uh, dealing with some of the things suggested by the moderators, which is just for anything that we all take for granted and enjoy, or you know, things that uh, are <laughs> more or less free, um, there has, there, in order for those things to exist, there has to be this underbelly of people who are suffering for it. You know, um, us, it's very literalized with the tethered and parasite. You just see how this family, you know, is, is these two poor families are like killing themselves to make this rich family's life work. And in the moderators, it's the idea of this, like this, this free website that everyone uses, but like, what's the cost? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, it's, uh, yeah, so we, we found a kind of simple power structure of the, the boss and the employee, um, you know, the, the guy who is on a slightly lower rung on the ladder and a guy who is not that much higher, but obviously because he's been promoted in some fashion will be more inclined to believe in the sanctity of the system, even though it's the same, you know, totally ruthless, awful one. Um, and uh, yeah, so we we wrote the 20-minute musical and it was called The Moderators and we performed it in January and then we just did a demo of it um, and it's available on Bandcamp. And it was, you know, uh, we were happy with how it turned out, but uh, the, the, the goal in the immediate future isn't necessarily to keep um, polishing that. That was more of sort of a proof of concept and a, and a reason to write again together and now we're, we're working on some new projects. So That's awesome. Yeah. When you were researching for it, did you... Did you have to dive deep into the world or was it based mostly on those articles? Like what was the kind of research you did for the project? We were uh, reticent to make it based off, like the musical based off of this article. Um, mainly also just because the if, if you're trying to, the, it was two, we were both in the musical I should mention. I was the employee Lee and he was the boss Ashley. And, uh, you know, in order to make it a two person story, we had to truncate a lot of details that in actuality, this stuff is, it's, it's a lot more of an assembly line. And that's another kind of the <laughs> dirty, unfortunate part of it is that it's hard for anyone to take individual responsibility sure. or because it's all just so like, there's so many people along the chain of this. Happening. Exactly. Exactly. So it's hard for anyone to speak out. Um, so no, it was more of just, we, we were really captivated by the article at the time we reread it and a series, <laughs> there's been some follow-ups actually. It's, it's created some pretty substantial change yeah, actually. I'll, make, so. I'll, I'll put some of the articles as well. Yeah, yeah. Really great reads. Um, and just, uh, you know, tragic stuff. Um, so yeah, but, but once we were, we got going and we sort of picked our story within this framework, um, you know, we would we would reference back the article for some specific. There's there's the first song that my character sang was called Flags, and it was you're just seeing him on on the computer, you know, as he's doing the day to day, just like w looking at imagery, seeing within the code of the company what statute it breaks or honors, and then allowing to go up. So for details within that, we incorporated some actual things that we had read, you know, or some slightly tailored versions, um, but. After a certain point, it, it was it, sort of the, the document was gone and we were just kind of focusing on our story within it. And I think that's a good 
principle with any things. So, you know, you you prep it with the material, and then once you're kind of writing it, that's the more important part, not right, so much the its own thing as well. yeah. And we were name dropping Facebook, but we weren't actually we we created a fictional company. I think the oh, real okay. one is called Oh man, it's <laughs> it's just as vague and like kind of sinister. But it, oh, the one we came up with is Coaxial. I think the real one is like contingent maybe <laughs> or it's like the, what does that mean that yes yes yeah because yeah. it's not actually facebook but right. we invoked facebook a lot in the same way that you imagine they probably have to to be like this is the part of you know this is the the grander um uh thing we're aspiring to help you know like the, the think of facebook the new frontier like this is what you're part of but really you're just <laughs> this small small thing has to do this one horribly inhumane exercise in the name of this larger ideal i love the fact that first of all that you guys took that as an inspiration for a show i think it's a really cool idea but also when we talk about consumption i mean i think social media is kind of the the figurehead for a lot of modern consumption because we almost don't even think of it with that word behind it. I think it's just thought of as a way of life in a lot yeah. of, and I, and I don't, I try not to say that lightly, but I mean, it's true. It's it just is, true. It's, yeah. It really is another, we blinked and then that it's happened. a virtual version of things, right? And it, it really is so ubiquitous at this point that it is playing into everybody's life in some way, whether that's directly or indirectly through other people. Right. And I would love to know, it sounds like you were reading those articles beforehand, right? You mm-hmm. said you had passed it back to each other. But how did writing the show, actually having to like think about and reckon with these issues, how did it affect your relationship with social media? And what was that relationship beforehand and after? Facebook specifically, and I guess Instagram I would put in a similar category. I guess they, you know, they all have their own <laughs> you know, uh, dilemmas and crises within them. They all kind of have their own separate. But Facebook and Instagram specifically feel somewhat of a thorn in my side that I can't really um, ever really part ways with due to trying to be an actor in a very commercial business. Um, it's, it's somewhat of a necessary tool, necessary evil. Um, that's you know what we were encouraged to believe at school. And I do, I do think it is like it is a concrete thing that you can control that will without you having to be in a room that, as we both know as actors, can be hard to get inside a room. So, like, here you are on a little device. You can control that. You know, from from that standing point, I see its value. Um, and then it's interesting because I think the thing that we all find most destructive is just how we view it, how we're just watching everyone else tailor their own little, you know, commercial output. Commercial or not commercial. You know, actually, I, I happen to be friends with a lot of actors, so it does seem like we're all kind of playing this game and noticing each other's tactics towards this kind of like, oh, that's a, that's a good way to shake it up. And, oh, good yeah, hash, that seems really hashtag, authentic. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and I do. I, I can't help but, like, feel like some of us, some of us, some people do it better than others because there's sometimes where it's more blindly, you know, ambition and and clearly commercially minded and I guess maybe some others are genuinely using the tool or are just better at faking it. Um, but yeah, so so Facebook and Instagram seem sort of like the tools with which I uh, continue to promote my art and work. Uh, Twitter and to a lesser extent Letterboxd are both sort of like uh, things I, I only Part t- like I have a very again, I would say mainly positive relationship, but I'm not I'm not tweeting and I'm not actually writing letterbox reviews. I just find it, you know, it's sort of just like reading the, the newspaper in a weird way. I know it's not it's not the same, but like that, I imagine the same impulse that would lead me to go like, all right, what's going on? You know, let me read a little bit of the culture, a little bit of the sports, a little bit of the, you know, um, local news, inter- international, all of that. It is like 
you know, in a way, that's what you're scrolling through, or, or with Letterbox, you know, what did people think of movies <laughs> at large? Yeah. Um, so I think it would be harder and maybe worse if I was also putting myself out there on the line in that way all the time. I mean, again, I, I think a lot of people who are using Twitter have the same reasoning for doing it like that. I just, for, I'm lucky enough that that's not like a thing that musical theater actors are all expected to have your tweet, you know, have your takes. Right. Yeah. So, but since doing the musical, um, well, yeah, that's the thing. It's not, it's not so much about Facebook specific. Yeah, it, do, it doesn't really delve into the moderators. Doesn't really delve into the evils of, <laughs> you know, social media at large. It's more about just like this is this is vague and dumb, but you know, like capitalism and like the fact that they have to require this this service be done, but it's so huge. Like the out the the demand is so high that they have to exploit the workers. Um, and, that, and the way they dress that up to make it sound like they're not is what's particularly insidious. But that's not necessarily the same questions that are are we're all asking lately about like Facebook and you know the selling information and all. You know there there are plenty of other things to be. Maybe that'll be another musical or maybe draft two if it's longer. But as of now, the only way we were really ever invoking it was sort of as this like. And Mark Zuckerberg, like the great, you know, George Washington crossing the Delaware. The yeah, no, he sings about him. And, and it's just supposed to illustrate like, you have, you're never going to meet him. And you just like, it's irrelevant. It's, irre- it's, it's used purely as an ideal um, just to continue to make them, you know, speed it up and not ask as many questions. I think that for everyone who, or it seems like, I don't, not to generalize, for a lot of people who are, creators make something as their main pursuit generally i found that they started they started doing that because they loved it right they found something like you did when you were growing up in santa rosa those theater camps like i think probably many 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 musical theater people hand being raised grew up experiencing those kind of things and that was a fire starter that was like a passion point that really geared us up to want to do this and then as the years go on and as we decide to go to college for this or we decide to go to training camps or whatever however people's paths lead them down to really pursue that passion in a more serious way you get to a point where it does become the thing if if it turns out that way that you're doing as your vocation as well as kind of your livelihood and i think it's interesting and i enjoy hearing people talk about once you're at that point that inflection point of your passion becoming your product how does that affect the passion part of it? So to put that in a question form, right? How does your passion, whether that's for music or for performing or um, any of those things we've been talking about, right? How has that been impacted by you now pursuing it as your livelihood? How does your creation get impacted by that? I mean, I think I've sort of learned different lessons in each of the different fields um, of the different kind of like lanes I'm trying to to pursue. You know, I think a lot of the lessons of, um, tr- you know, pursuing, I keep on specifying like act, being an actor in a commercial theater, which is New York theater. Um, a lot of it has been learning just, just how um, so much is out of your control. Um, you know, things that, it just feels like trite. I mean, like I had been told this type of stuff, but you know that that you know, height, 
weight, um, how many Twitter followers. Oh, now here I see I am invoking Twitter after saying it didn't matter, but how many Instagram followers you have, you know, like things that aren't necessarily, you have this idea that everyone you will see on a maybe Broadway stage, maybe movie or whatever TV show are there because they are the best people in the world. Um, and they often are, but like sometimes it's just, you know, and, and sometimes it's, it's, it's actually a freeing thing to realize like, well, let's see here. Like this is actually somewhat out of my control. Hopefully I will one day be the right slot to fill and I will be able to rise to the occasion there. But there are certain situations that no matter how high I rise to like show up and be there, it's not, it's just not going to be for me. You know, I'm too old, too young, too whatever. Um, and that is a, um, can be demoralizing, but it also can be like, you know, okay, so let's, um, you can be a little less hard on yourself when, when things don't pan out the way you want them to. That's just something um, that's been the acting um, discovery. Has it been motivating you more to pursue outside of acting? Because if that's the acting discovery, has that decision to do more writing of musicals, writing, like you said, doing more projects with Graham, is that part of this dealing with the 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 winds of chance that come with pursuing an acting career? Yeah, I mean, I've always enjoyed singer songwriter hat because it uh, and, and part of the reason I was so um, reluctant to start writing musicals was uh, you write a pop song and it's um, and I use pop liberally, but you 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 write a, a song and it's a three minute idea and you you know it's not always like this but in in a, in some cases and in, 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 in often it sort of like comes out fully formed sort of and then you continue to you know revise and 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 make it more you know put ornaments on top of it but like you have this 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 thing that you want to co- convey and you're able to do it sort of in in one sitting or maybe a week or whatever so it's a musical which is <laughs> just like so much time to be sitting in the inadequacy of the incomplete thing. So for, I don't know, I have a, uh, I'm quite judgmental of musicals and new, new scores that I hear. I'm aware that I am, <laughs> uh, very highly critical. Um, like I said, a little Sondheim bitch, <laughs> but you know, it's just when you, when you know what it can be, it's hard to, to accept. And that's to say also here I am now, I, I think I've actually come a long way sort of accidentally just by finally you know, bearing down and doing it. I'm so glad that Isabel asked me to, to write that thing. I'm so glad Graham did it with me. And it was, it was a joy and fun because I just like had to kind of spit it out. Um, and it wasn't a full length musical also. So that also probably helped and it'll be harder to do something longer. But, you know, when you're, when you just have your part of the whole with musicals, um, you've written your first couple songs or whatever, or maybe parts of each of those songs, and they all have lyrical places you need to fix in. There's a lot of this individual puzzles. It can just be overwhelming and feel like, God, I just don't know if this is actually going to, how am I going to get above water with all this? But I guess it's just fun to keep cracking at it. Um, yeah. I, f- I forget kind of how we got on this again. This no. It's interesting, the, the, the podcast... Um, kind of trance you go into is you're just like trying to articulate one idea and you completely forget the domino but that's the where the, that's i don't know for me that's the fun part because then you get to hear the thought process oh, sure. um but i i kind of tying it back to what you were saying before the difficulty of like you were saying you're getting to a better i think right and i'm rephrasing but getting to a better place of kind of accepting the the foibles of 
the choice of when we get something in theater versus when we don't versus when you get it like and to generalize it like when we get an opportunity and get a job or get something mm-hmm. does having something like writing music where you're pretty much fully in control is that yeah. one way of dealing with that that's i mean yeah that's that's the joy it's um you know i i think it's all it all comes from the same you know base artistic desire whatever that thing is that we all seem to have that you know is just um you can fulfill it in different ways or you can sort of you know massage it in different ways um yeah i want i've been trying to do this thing at the end i don't know if it's going to work or not sure but since it is about creation and consumption i just want to throw one thing out there for people to consume so one thing that you've been oh oh, yeah sure anything um um, one of my favorite movies from this past year was Portrait of a Lady on Fire. It's this French uh, romance um, by a, a there's dir- a Lefou right there director um, called Celine Sciamma. And then, uh, luckily, all of her films are up on Criterion as well. So it's just been deep diving into to her work. Um, they all um, incorporate uh, movie music, which we didn't even discuss, which is another like huge pat. Like I would love to write scores for movies one day. That'd be so cool. And there's, I, I truly feel like we're at a uh, an exciting play so the, between Johnny Greenwood and like Michael Levy. Oh, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I think it's Michael Levy. Um, there's just some really exciting composers in film right now that are com- combining some interesting oh, stuff. Cool. But anyway, her film, Celine Sciamma, uh, incorporate music very minimally, but when they, when it does, it's like very hyper specific and like super intriguing. And you almost wonder, like I can imagine if she has whatever composer or she's working with or whatever soundtrack she's pulling, like I can see a lesser director wanting to like just flood the whole movie with these types of cues. Cause they're also interesting, but they actually have so much more power because she's using them very sparingly. Um, and I've been really, really enjoying that. And her just films are well acted and just great, great stuff. Cool. Well, Thank you, Barrett. Thank you so much for taking the time, man. I really appreciate it. Um, oh, of course. Yeah, this is fun. I had fun. a great time. Thanks, Denny Schwaz. That's what we called. That is called that. you back. That's what I back in our myself. keg stand that's, that's, days. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> when I was emailing Barrett recently, he actually addressed the email to Denny Schwaz. So obviously, I am still going by that name. Um, if you want to hear Barrett's work, like the moderators or his album, Good Ol', check out the links in the show notes. You can find all that stuff there. And again, I definitely would recommend it. It's a beautiful, beautiful listen. Uh, if you want to support the podcast, just continuing to listen is is awesome and we really appreciate it. Um, or subscribing and giving a rating in Apple Podcasts would also be really helpful so other people can find the show. And you can also visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash creative consumption. As always, a shout out to the theme writer and the brother from both the same mother and father, Nathan Schwartzberg. Uh, in, in my homage to This American Life, Nathan has a deep secret, but he revealed it to me just the other day. Well, I'm a little Sondheim, bitch. We've got another interview coming next week, so stay tuned for that. And until then, thank you guys for listening, and stay safe. Stay safe.